Kansas City's talk show for throttle junkies, motorheads, and anyone who loves rocking the driver's seat. From barn fresh to concourse ready, Road Muscle Radio parks the latest news, the greatest views, and the biggest names in rolling thunder right, right in your ears. ears. Let's welcome your show hosts, a freelance automotive journalist, senior auction analyst for Sports Car Market Magazine and American Car Collector Magazine, writer and editor of ReadTheDriven.com, Brett Hatfield, and 30-plus year radio veteran, author, playwright, lousy karaoke singer, and lover of fat and freaky American classic cars, Mark Catfish Groves. Let's put the pedal to the metal. Road Road Muscle Muscle Radio is on the air. Taking it down the road with too much caffeine and not enough fuel. It's Road Muscle Radio. We got Brett Hatfield. Hello. I'm Catfish Groves and a busy show today. Uh, Lots of stuff going on. We're going to be talking with Rick Hunter from Hot Rod Express. That guy's got so much neat stuff in his shop. You and I Uh are going to have to make a track. You know what? We're going to have to. And what we're going to do is we're going to videotape it and we'll put it up on YouTube. Oh, absolutely. Because the place is cool and Rick is the nicest dude. And we'll talk to him in a little bit. Plus, Renny Fernandez and Butch Pappen are going to join us again from the Kansas City Auto Museum. Love having them on. And we're going to talk. No, you know, I'll let you find out because it's really fun. Anyway, we've got all that coming up. And right now we need to know what's happening in the news. Get your brain in gear for what's going on. Time for What's News on Road Muscle Radio. So here's something interesting, uh, Catfish. Yeah. Uh, A European court has ruled that non-operative and unused cars need to have insurance. Wait a minute. Vehicles that you're not... That don't run and aren't being used. And, you know, there are going to be a lot of Fiat and Alpha owners who are PO'd about this. (laughs) But a Portuguese grandmother parked uh, parked a car she couldn't drive anymore and the insurance lapsed because she wasn't... And we do that all the time. There are fields of dreams out there full of cars with lapsed uh, everything. Yeah, absolutely. And so months later, her son decides to take the car for a joyride Uh with a bunch of friends. Uh Uh-oh. He and the two friends are killed in a crash. Oh, boo. And Italy, the government the government in Italy has a state insurance fund that paid out, but then they doubled back and sued the grandmother and her daughter for reimbursement. They sued the grandmother and the daughter who have just lost their kid. Yep. Wow. Yeah, it seems a, a little counterintuitive, wouldn't you think? That's harsh. Uh, government said because all vehicles pose inherent risks, quote unquote. <laughs> Uh, the owners must keep them insured, even if they're no longer licensed, even if they're unused and kept on private property. Uh, apparently, they tried to fight it and they lost the case. Oh man! Uh, the ruling stated basically that if it can still be driven and it's considered a vehicle, you got to insure it. Period. Wow! So if somehow it can roll, you got to put. Oh wow! Again, there's. Can you imagine that here? There are Fiat owners all over Italy screaming out loud tonight. You know, actually, it's not all that hard to imagine. No. With the way some of the no, weird, uh, laws have been changing. Kind of weirdo liability thing. Also, uh, SEMA is threatening to sue the U.S. government, the NHTSA. SEMA? Na- SEMA, the Special Equipment Manufacturers Association, uh-huh. is threatening to sue the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration over dragging their feet on replica car rules. Now, small volume manufacturers are trying to ma- make it so that they can sell turnkey cars. Oh, yeah, because it's almost like they have to sell a, well, a kit, kind of? Yeah, well, historically... Uh, you know, replica car makers like Superformance, 
You know the oh, Cobra yeah. I told you about? Yeah. Uh, they make uh, Shelby Cobra replicas and yeah. Cobra Daytona replicas and GT40s and Corvette Grand Sports. But the way the rules are written, uh, they have to make the car complete less drivetrain so that they don't have to go through EPA. They don't have to go through DOT or NHTSA like regular vehicle manufacturers do. So they don't have to have airbags and they don't have to have crumple zones and all that stuff. They sell the car like that. And then the buyer has to take the car from the selling dealer and have the oh, drivetrain yeah. installed after the fact. And they're trying to to skirt that and to get around it. And uh, apparently the complaint is drafted and ready. SEMA is ready to sue. This has been ongoing. The NHTSA hasn't even started drafting guidelines, and I think this has been over a year that they've been fighting this. Right now, replica car manufacturers are stuck with the laws from the 60s, and they have to sell their cars, <laughs> like I said, as kits or as a roller without a drivetrain. Oh, and uh, Oh, yeah. The last changes were in 2015, and they said replica car builders could use their current model year engines and emissions equipment, which means they had to be modern in that regard. But And it was limited, it's limited to 325 cars as long as they built 25 cars in the prior year. You know, they're trying. You would think that the people that put together almost all of your car – should yeah. really be able to put put together all of it. Now I understand that they're you know like you just said with all the things that they don't put into those vehicles. Yeah, if you're going to be a major manufacturer, there's certain things you have to do. But they're not being the rules say what 325 cars or less. Yeah, and, and there you're are a boutique there are, manufacturer. There are arguments on both sides. Yeah, but the idea is that the people who are buying these cars from the replica manufacturers, you know, they know what they're getting. They're not uh, under any assumption that. They're getting something that's full of airbags or has crumple zones or any of that safety equipment. Right. But, I mean, how how is what they're driving any different than what I'm driving anytime I take out a Corvette or the old Impalas or any of that stuff? I know exactly what I'm in for. It sounds like Seamus probably got a heck of a battle on their hands. Yeah, good now, luck with that. one more thing. This just in. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, this one, This one's close to my heart. Researchers of the United Kingdom say that the rise in autonomous vehicles is expected to help prostitutes have a place for the sex trade. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah, that's it. it. I'm going to get on my phone and I'm going to order up a car. And by the way, can you get me a hitch hooker on the way over? <laughs> I would like a prostonomous driver. <laughs> oh, fantastic. Now, it's according to a study from the Annals of Tourism Research. Uh, it's a quote from one of the researchers. Check this out. It's only a natural conclusion that sex in autonomous vehicles would become a phenomenon it's only natural. Uh, you know, I wasn't, I, I was very anti-autonomous car till just now. <laughs> till just now. Till just now. It, well, the, I, I now see a benefit. It, it's kind of weird that driverless cars, the, the, kind of part of the plan is they get rid of taxis. I mean, you have just these vehicles you get in and they take you someplace and it's programmed. The thing is with the interiors that have become more spacious, there's even uh, – oh, I can't remember if it was Audi or, or who it was. One of the uh, um, European manufacturers that already they make a, an electric car, an autonomous car with beds in it and stuff like this. So you could just you know kind of sleep on your way. Okay. Well, these custom interiors that could be include bedding, maybe a massage chair. I mean, think about it. The inside of your car becomes wide open. Two questions. One – are they going to have to start te- training cops to figure out whether or not you're conducting illicit business or you're just making out with your girlfriend? Two, 
how many times can you tell the car, hey, one more time around the block, one more time around the block, one more time around the block. Trust me. (laughs) Uh, You know, and and there are two things about it. One, uh, there is a concern and put out by these people that, you know, these autonomous cars could also be pretty much mules for delivering drugs or perhaps for delivering things that go boom. And, wow. you know, it's, it's stuff you got to think about. You're going to load up this car. And then the other side, it depends on how the cars are set up and how much privacy you're legally allowed. Because if it's all computer driven, it's all connected through the Internet and through the this and the that. That means are there going to be cameras inside the cars, especially ones that you rent to make sure that you're not, you know, cray cray. It's it's quite an interesting uh, well, call up your car, call up your hitchhooker, and make sure you take the duct tape to cover <laughs> up the camera. <laughs> and, and trust the United Kingdom. They're the ones who would know. Well, there you have it. Look, we're going to talk about something much more on the legal side as we look at the vehicles that we love. And if we want to make them really, really amazing, Rick Hunter with Hot Rod Express is going to help us walk through that, figure out the good, so the much, bad, and the awesome. So much cool stuff over there. That's coming up next on Road Muscle Radio. We're back with Road Muscle Radio. I'm Catfish Groves along with Brett Hatfield. Hey, howdy. And Brett, uh, we've got a guest in this time that's going to lay down some science with us, going to drop some science because, you know, we love, we love our cars and we, we want to make them look as best we can, we can do. Well, I do. Uh, well, hey, now, I do too. <laughs> Mine's just a slower process. <laughs> we'll, we'll get you there. But when when talking about that and knowing what to look for etc sometimes it's great to have a pro to turn to and we have one uh, joining us is Rick Hunter who is with Hot Rod Express out of uh, Blue Springs Rick is co-owner of Hot Rod Express and the shop foreman kind of the all-around getter done guy and uh Rick welcome to the show Hey guys how you doing Mark and Brett how you today We are so good and and ready to to talk uh, get in a little bit in the weeds about working on cars. Now, you guys, we can go to your website, hotrod-express.com, and start clicking around on the car porn because you've got completed projects there. There's a 67 Camaro, 57 Corvette, 31 Ford pickup, 66 Chevy pickup, and the, the pictures are kind of awe-inspiring. There's one, there's a 55 Chevy. Looks like a gentleman named Harold Sanders. You even tell the story about when he was turned 14, before summer before he could get his uh, school driving permit, uh, he had got a hand-me-down 55 Chevy, and apparently he brought a, t- a 55 Chevy to you guys, and oh my goodness. Oh, it was a four door when we started. Oh, it, no kidding! Oh, oh, we're gonna we're gonna get there. <laughs> but just like him bringing this car so that you can make it kind of his dream come alive again, uh, there's a lot of us who like to do that. Matter of fact, uh, uh, Brett and I have talked about that one. I kind of went to look at and gave up on. And uh, wait, 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 which one? Shut uh, up! <laughs> yeah, that gets me right here. That hurts right here. All right, so <laughs> I just want to know if it was the one that tried to kill us or the one that you wouldn't let kill you. The one I wouldn't let kill me. Okay, that's different. So uh, as we go into Rick, when we're looking at a car, let's say we found something, we're like, you know, this would be really cool. What are some of the big things that you really need to look for that will tell you, you know, whether it's going to be a huge bucks project or whether you might be able to get there? What are some of the big uh ohs to look for? 
Well, some of the big uh-ohs to look for is if the thing doesn't start and drive, it's going to be expensive. And, you know, that's, that's the big thing. If this thing starts and drives and stops and steers and, you know, it gets itself around and stops and all that, well, that, that's a big step in the right direction if you're trying to just fix up a moderate hot rod. Now, if it don't do any of those things and has rust, then it's going to become even more expensive, as, you know, we all know. We've all drug home cars that looked a whole lot better, as you said earlier, sitting in the weeds. Oh, Yeah. Yeah, well, it, it, Rick is—he's familiar with some of my history. And he, uh, several years ago, when Rick and I first met, I went out and I bought a '56 Plymouth, and I bought—I mean, it was like you know, a hundred bucks, a six-pack, and a and a twenty-two pistol. And I'm bringing home this uh, 1956 Plymouth uh, flathead six, three on the tree. Uh, most of the glass was good. The uh, the body was great because all of those. The, usually around the headlight, the eyebrows mm-hmm. are, are yep. they're gone. There's nothing but air and rust there. And this thing was prime all that way around. I got, I got a little excited about it. Mm-hmm. And I really should have pulled up some of that floor mat. Cause yeah. And I, this is when you thought you were going to learn how to weld. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah well, I remember that. Yeah, you told me, it's like, well, there's big holes in the floor. What do I do? It's like, oh, man. <laughs> run. <laughs> yeah. and you, a, you can you can literally run, yeah, inside the car. And you know, funny thing was I went to a, a cheapo uh cheapo tool shop and bought myself a welder and I got an engine stand. I was all manning up on this thing and yeah, I could burn a hole in anything, but I couldn't weld two pieces of metal together to save my soul. See, and if you'd been a real hot rod guy, you would have just gone and stolen road signs. <laughs> and pop riveted and got, them in. And gotten a grinder <laughs> and some sheet metal screws. Yeah, I bought I bought 18-gauge sheet metal. There's a shop down in Olathe that I, I bought two massive 4x8 sheets of metal, and I was cutting out floor things. You know, you really need to make them fit kind of perfectly. Why you would you that? buy anything when the state gives you some free? They're just sitting on posts <laughs> everywhere. Yeah. Because I know guys like Rick Hunter who know how to do it right. So, you know, uh, first thing you do, make sure it can, you know, run, start, and stop if you're kind of looking to not spend all your life savings. And then uh, a guy like me, that is, because there there are people who do such, uh, all the the artwork on your website. Anyway, we'll get to that. Yeah, if you're trying to do something to keep the cost down, Mark, what I was, what we always try to tell our customers to do is don't get in a big hurry and buy the first thing you see unless it just happens to be really nice. You know, look look for something from Texas, Oklahoma, Arizona that's not all rusted out yet and just get a heads up on, on all the metal work. Now, it's, it's getting harder to do because there are fewer and fewer cars every day to choose from out there. But True. anything you can find that you don't have major structural damage in, you're, you're skipping a whole major process in the car that just really doesn't give anything back to you but take a lot of money to get back to that point and then you're able to start building a car so if you can find one that's that's nice and solid and find somebody to look at it, hire somebody you know if you're not real sure give you the rundown of what's going on like you like you pointed out maybe pull the carpet up take a look to see if it's actually a floorboard or somebody just sprayed you know three gallons of undercoating underneath the car to make it look like it's a good floorboard you know so watch out for all those things. Yeah, it was a uh, it's it's been a learning process mm-hmm. <laughs> at, at slow oh. going. So at least there's one thing I'm kind of doing right. I am trying to take my time to make sure it's the right vehicle. So yeah, pick pick the car you really like. You know, don't don't pick one you kind of like. I mean, 
Find find something that you're gonna because you're gonna you're gonna be stuck with it for a while. You know, I'm not trying to make this whole part of the first conversation all about <laughs> me, but since it is, uh, no, this this no, wraps no. around so yeah, that's well. That's one of the other things that that's I went and looked at a '65 Merc down in Arkansas and uh, Mercury Breezeway, uh, Mercury yeah. Monterey, and just uh, I love the car. But you know who my true love is? That's like the girl you take to prom, who's the best friend of the girl you really wanted to go with but couldn't yeah. quite go. Because uh, it's those mid '60s Mopars, man. Oh, you glutton! Oh, they're, yeah, they're they're cool. I mean, it it doesn't get any cooler. I have a I have a Plymouth Fury, so I I oh. really like I really like big Plymouth C bodies, you know, stuff like that. I really what year? Like those cars. What year's your Plymouth? That's a '73. Oh my God, that is a big one! Holy yeah, cow! Grand Coupe I've had for a long time, you know, 440s. Queasy honk steering wheel buckets and all that stuff. <laughs> Rolling landmass. That's what I'm talking. You know, the gravitational field shifts as you're rolling along in one oh, of those things. That thing absolutely influences the tides. <laughs> oh, it, yeah, it does. It, it's a cool car. It's one of them things you either like it or you don't. Uh, you know, I actually, one of the vehicles that I would, I would go all the way up to like a 1970, 71 uh, Mopar, uh, especially the two door that has just that big monster fat face on the front of it. And you're just all you do. You're just a rolling sledge oh, right down the yeah, road. They're, they're great cars if you can find a nice one. Yeah, we've got yeah. several customers that find those and rub up the old factory paint and do some mechanical updates and repairs and just love them. You know, so they're they're a great car. My partner, he has a a '63 Imperial. You know, four door, heaviest, <laughs> biggest car ever made. You know, that's that's the one that dominated the the uh, you know the, the crash derbies for years and years, and they finally outlawed them on. Demolition derbies because you couldn't kill them. You couldn't kill them. <laughs> you know, yeah. Car that weighed sixty nine hundred pounds. Oh it, my god! It was, it was a monster. Oh, that's a little piece of heaven, right that's there. That's a suburban with a chunk of lead in the back. Yeah, yeah. yeah. that rides low. <laughs> yeah, All right. it's, it's it's a pretty cool car too. You have to see it sometime. Before I watch Brett choke on his own blood, uh, <laughs> he's not Mopar quite a guys. Mopar guy. Uh, <laughs> So we're looking at a vehicle. We check for rust, uh, running, etc. How? What's your opinion on the uh, ghosts in the wiring? Because sometimes you find a vehicle, and they're like, "Well, this switch is doesn't seem to work." Can't you know it? Uh, like when I saw batteries draining, you know, it runs great, etc. But for some reason, the battery's draining. Is that like a nightmare trying to hunt down electrical issues? Well, some of them are, and if it's an old car with old wiring from the '60s, uh, we just we rewire them. You just take all the old stuff out, and you put a a new updated system in the car. Some of them are made specifically for the car. Some are, are more of a broader broadcast of all the cars they fit, but but they got modern wiring and fuse box and switches and ignition switches and headlight switches, and and you rewire the car and you're you're good to go on that. Then you don't have to worry about that, you know. So if you get a car, everything's great, but the wiring's bad. You can try to target the problem areas and just fix those. But you really just need to look it over and see how bad the car is. And usually most of the electrical problems on cars are self-inflicted by somebody. You know, the, something didn't work, so somebody got in there with wire cutters and started cutting wires and wiring stuff till they got the wipers to come on, but they killed four other things on the way there. <laughs> or, particularly <laughs> you know, if they're old British cars. You remember the uh, motto of Lucas Electrics, don't you? Lucas Electric, yeah. Lucas, yeah. Lucas yeah. Electric, make sure you're home before dark. Yeah, well, those guys drink their beer hot too, so that's not, that's not right. Yeah, they, no, if they can't fix the refrigerator, cars too, and you know, uh, they've they've got their own theory. I mean, you can you can get through it. Well, the Brits won't build TVs because they can't figure out how to get them to leak oil. 
<laughs> but my brother had a uh, oh, what was it? I think it was a '92 or '94 Jaguar. Uh, Jaguar uh, he something or other had the twelve cylinder and I it what two of the cylinders were burnt and oh, wow. when when he got hold of it and he we got it for like a song there's a reason for that well yeah and and the guy I told him just drop a three fifty in there mm-hmm. pull the engine and he's like no no I gotta have the original no Jaguar baby he dropped I think it was sixteen thousand dollars in that engine. And then it was the electrical issues. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, oh, yeah. You know, this lights wouldn't work. This suddenly wouldn't work. That wouldn't work. And about two years later, he sold the car for what he bought it for. 80s oh, Jags probably. came with their own pet gremlin. Oh, oh they did. It was yeah, awful. They, they were bad. We've done a lot of Chevy conversions on them, small and big blocks alike. And a lot of, uh, you know, the older LT1 motors and the LS motor conversions. I mean, they, they run great when you do that. Talk about fun. I think uh, coming up next... We uh, we're going to switch gears, and I'm going to stop talking about all the cars I like because you've got a special project coming into your shop if it's not already there that has uh, a 1961 on it, and it's real pretty, and it's real original, and it's right in your your wheelhouse, Brett. A uh, 61 Corvette coming into Hot Rod Express. We're if gonna... only I knew something about those. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, we we got it here. We we I went and picked it up, pulled it out of a garage. It's been sitting in for twenty six years. Ah, uh, we're going to be talking about that next. Hang tight, right here on Road Muscle Radio. Back with Road Muscle Radio, a uh, catfishes guy that we've got with us tonight. Rick, yeah, Rick Hunter from Hot Rod Express in Blue Springs. They've got a '61 Corvette in their shop that is uh, just at the beginning of of new project status, start of a new life, a new life, new life, and. You know, if only I knew a little something about it. Yeah. <laughs> now, paint us a picture, Rick. Tell us about this this new little baby that needs some love that's been uh, pulled into your shop. Well, we met a guy oh, a couple months ago that has a – he came in wanting to get a car restored. He'd, he'd bought it brand new in, I think, October of 1960. And he's had this car everywhere. He's, he was his daily driver for years and years and years, pulled trailers with it when he moved and put snow <laughs> tires on it when it snowed. And, <laughs> Is a it's a '61 Corvette. It's got the 283 two four barrel package with a four speed and four ten gears in it. So he put over a hundred thousand miles on that car, and it's been sitting in his garage for about twenty four twenty six years. He, he told put me. over a hundred thousand miles in a solid axle with a four ten rear end. Yep. Good yeah. lord! Is that yeah. uh, what? What? Why is that kind of a special thing? Is well, it, first of all, putting over a oh. hundred thousand miles on a solid axle. The guy probably started six two, and he's about five seven now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He he loved it. He but anyway, we got the car here. It's it's one of the few I've seen that's all original. I mean, especially with the two four barrel package and the four speed, because all that stuff usually gets lost. You know, the carburetors don't work right. They take it off. They throw them away. They put a single one on it, and it's gone. Most of those cars got turned into drag cars, and when we get them in here to restore them, it's just two or three truckloads of Corvette parts. Unbelievable. But Unbelievable. this one still had hubcaps, original top on it, everything still. 
and uh, it, and his son's to the point where he he wants to kind of get using the car again, and the father, the the owner of it is, but it's a, it's a one owner, fully documented '61 Corvette convertible. So it's it's kind of cool just finding that. Like I was talking to Mark about, you know, those those cars are still out there, but you just don't know where they're at. You know, there there's a lot of garages that's got stuff like that in it. You just don't know what's behind those doors. Yeah, it's the restraining orders that make it hard to find That's it. But. Exactly right. <laughs> hey, they only had to run me off in that house like four times. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Excuse me, can I look in your garage? Yeah. Here at Brookside, that's kind of an old garage. <laughs> I'm going to call the cops on you again. You don't get away from my house. <laughs> I don't want your house. Just let me look in the garage, please. Uh-huh. Okay, so we've got this 61. Now, Brett, uh, with all the stuff that you do, uh, being able to be a senior auction analyst, if you're looking at something like that in, in pretty – Pretty cherry condition. What are we talking about? We're talking about watching my gums sweat. <laughs> <laughs> well, first of all, finding it, it's run 100,000 miles. Uh, so there's going to be some things on it that you have to address wear-wise. There just are. Yeah. Uh, it's tough to find an old solid axle Corvette that doesn't have the nose or the tail drooping uh, from just the, way, the weight that the fiberglass carries on them. You know, they've got the big chrome bumpers and they got the teeth in the grill. It, it, they're heavy. They're flat heavy. Uh, but if you've got one and it's pristine and all the numbers are there, you're getting real close to being a six-figure car. So, And in some instances, if the restoration is right and it's not overdone, they'll go north of that. Oh, yeah. It's, it's, gonna, it's in for a total restoration. It'll be a brand-new car when we're done. <sighs> we're just going to do two upgrades to the car. Is One, we're going to put disc brakes on the front of it. And uh, they really need just, that just for just for safety. They want right. to drive it. They they're not trying to make a shelf car here and to sit around and wash up the car and all that. They they want to drive Sounds it. Familiar. And so we're going to put disc brakes on the front of it. Probably possibly power disc brakes. And then we're going to keep the original four speed transmission shifter and all that stuff. But we're going to put a gear vendor overdrive on the back of that. Oh, so cool! Now we're going to have four ten gears. But when you go into overdrive, it's like a three so, you know, this guy can get on the highway, you can cruise 70, 80, 90 mile an hour comfortably, no problem, and still have, and it's still run like a drag car from stoplight to stoplight. It's an electric gear reduction that turns it into an overdrive. We use quite a few here. They work great for keep, keeping the originality of a car, especially Corvette or something, you know, or Chevelles. You know, you want to keep the original shifter and transmission and console and all that stuff and the feel of the Muncie or the Saginaw and the shifter. And you just put this, this gear vendor on the back of it, and then, bam, you got overdrives. So now you can keep up with the cars on the highway now. Well, I was looking at doing that in my 61 Impala Catfish because I didn't think it had enough highway to it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it highway. might not. <laughs> it's got more jump than it has, you know, long-distance run. <laughs> well, I, want, I swapped the rear gear. It's, she's got okay. a little bit of both now. Okay, good. Good man. Yeah. <laughs> So, but it's it's going to be a neat project. It'll be on our site as we start getting it apart. We're going to start documenting the car and everything as we take it apart. Every every nut, every bolt will have a have a photograph that goes with it. If we if we're going to bring a car into you to uh, to have it worked on, uh, what's what's the process for that, Rick? Is it just like, hey, give you a call, or are there a couple of things that you talk about firsthand to make sure that you know are you really ready to do this? Well, that's that's a big thing. Is we we talk, we have meetings with the car owners and. And it's just, uh, it's like getting an operation. I mean, they'll bring in their spouses, sons, daughters, and it's kind of a family decision a lot of times, and there's usually some sentimental value. So we really need to know what they're wanting to do, what they expect, how they're going to use the car, you know, how they're going to store the car. Uh, you know, we'll get them a maintenance program. And 
and a lot of times just to see if you know that if we're a fit for the customer. I mean, it, it's going to be we're going to get to know the customers really well, and a lot of our customers become our best friends. And so we, we have to get along. And if we don't get along, if they don't get along with us or us with them, it, it's just not going to make an enjoyable experience, and it's just probably not going to work. So the interview process is a big part of it. And then I look at the car, and then we give it, and we analyze the car, and kind of give our report on what condition it's in, what we think it's going to need to have done, if it needs everything, or hey, I think you can get it running and do a few things as you go. But most of them is a complete restoration, and they're they're at the point they're ready to do that, or they wouldn't be here talking to us. And and we're probably not the only person they talk to. They'll they'll possibly interview several shops, you know, and see who. Uh, and it usually boils down to whether they think they can get along with the people in the business more than anything. You know, if if they think their wishes are going to be followed through the way they like it to be, and and you know that they can actually get along with the people that's working on their car, that they're not over overbearing, and you know just in. You want to be in charge of the project, of course, because they're relying on you to do what you do, like or for us to do it. And just uh, once you do that, then we get a schedule and we get a plan and we get the car in here and we we take it all apart and kind of start like it would on the assembly line. Now, part of the beauty of it, too, I'm looking at your website here, hotrod-express.com, is that uh, it's all done in-house. From from working on the engines to the the custom upholstery, paint, metal fabrication, you do it all one place right there. Yeah, we do everything. You know, the reason we do is we we I like to keep control of the whole project. I don't want to load it on a trailer and take it to somewhere else to get interior. Load it on a trailer, take it somewhere else to get an engine put in. Load it on a trailer, take it somewhere else to get body work put on. And I'm just the guy that does the wiring. I mean, we do everything right here. We don't. We don't rely on anybody else. Our, our quality control, we keep that in check on everything the way we want it. All my guys are real anal about what they do. Um, you know, they do such a great job that when one when one mechanic or technician finishes what he's doing, it's ready for the next guy to do what he's going to do. So it's got to go from, from disassembly to, to auto body and the paint end of it to assembly and then back to the mechanical side for, you know, the rigging of the whole car you know, air conditioning, heat, motor, transmission, everything that makes a car move. And then it goes to the trim department for all the upholstery, convertible top, you know, new seats. We, you know, we do all that stuff. So each each technician knows where to leave it for the next guy to start on it. And it just, it goes smooth that way. Uh, the customer has one place to go. They can make their decisions as we go along and pick things that they want to do because there's so many crossroads when you're doing this. Yeah. You know that we we want them and we want them in charge of the project, and then we try to inform them of the best way we know of doing things, and then they they can choose from there. It's usually colors and horsepower. I mean, that's the things we want to know: what color you want it to be and how fast you want it to go. Well, Rick, if if you're all that real good and you're all that real great at it, let me ask you this: Do you make the fuzzy dice? Do you, Rick? Do you? Well. You know, I knew it. I don't know, man. You got me. You just, I found you got the me. one place. <laughs> but I, wait, but, but I know a guy. <laughs> Boom. So I could get connected. Well, you've got a speed shop there that people could come and get stuff. And you've got this list of uh, performance engine upgrades. So if, if we wanted to make it really, really nice, 
but we didn't want to go the full, you know, 110 yards, get it all re, the whole car rebuilt, but say like the engine, we really wanted to make it great. You can do that too. Yeah. We just do engine upgrades or engine rebuilds, you know, or, uh, you know, we do things to people's cars that are running and driving and driving them. And all of a sudden the guy's like, you know, he's got a Mustang and he's like, I'm, I'm ready for power disc brakes. So he'll bring it in. We'll just put power disc brakes on it. And, uh, you know, on down the road, or he might say, Hey, yeah, I want air conditioning. So we'll just put air conditioning in his car. Or he may say, I'm tired of just spinning one tire around town, you know, put a positive traction in it. So we do bits and pieces of cars. It doesn't have to be a complete restoration. We do a, we do a lot of maintenance on people's cars too, because, uh, you know, not everybody has the facility to, to just, to up, just to maintain these older cars. I mean, they're Absolutely. not rocket science. They're pretty basic, but the technicians that work on these are all, Rocket scientists. There's a lot of stuff that most of the modern mechanics, you know, just never got to experience. You know, yeah. carburetors. They quit making those in 1985. So that that was into that. So I mean, it it all changed. But we we do a lot of service for customers and small upgrades. And say the guy just wants some new seats. We'll you know make some. We can cover that too. And recover them, polster them, and put them in. And that's Hot Rod Express Speed Shop. You can find it in Blue Springs. Call them 816-224-9597. Also online at hotrod-express.com. Go get your eyeballs full of, uh, you know, beginning to end pictures from rust to wow. And uh, coming up next, Brandy Fernandez and Butch Pappen from the Kansas City Automotive Museum. Join us again. I think we're going to find out how we can get our cars into the museum. Stick around. That's on the way on Road Muscle Radio. It's Road Muscle Radio, Brett Hatfield with Catfish Groves, and we have our special guest back from the Kansas City Automotive Museum. Vrenny Fernandez and Butch Pappen. Yes. Yeah, see, Not he got, his, got his name right. He, he's the, he's the <laughs> I was going to say the great Papon, but you know what? I bet you've had that all your life, Butch. Uh, uh, pretty much, yeah. But, but you know what? Vrenny's laughing. Professional. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know me. I'm always top notch when it comes to humor and cars. My God. Now, with the... Kansas City Automotive Museum, last time that we chatted, uh, we talked about the history, the growth of the museum, and what it's looking forward to in the future for both looks and growth. Thing is, you've got all these cool vehicles from cars to motorcycles to about everything in between inside the museum. How does a person get to have their ultra cool? You know what, Brett? You're looking at me going, wait a minute, me. Please, please. (laughs) How do we get a vehicle in? into the museum well usually people call up and say hey i want to put my car in the museum we say wait a minute (laughs) oh my gosh i i think i just saw uh, brett put you on auto dial (laughs) (laughs) we got you on the phone now yeah i mean we're here okay brett let give an example of a vehicle that you wouldn't mind of yours you wouldn't mind seeing at the museum oh i don't know a fifty-three thousand mile number matching 1960 corvette you're so close <laughs> wow! Wow! Butch just got uh, called Dream Killer. Wow! I haven't been no, kicked no, in the no, teeth. No. That that does sound very interesting. Yeah, you happen to be talking to the Corvette guy right here. Uh, the uh, one thing that would be, I think, interesting to listeners right now, we have a '61 Corvette that has thirty-three thousand miles, and it is totally original. 
NCRS, oh. National Corvette Resource Society, has judged it so. <laughs> Original paint and everything. Wow. Uh, Survivor car. A 57 uh, Corvette with fuel injection and four-speed, which if you sounds like you know Corvettes well and know that uh, the four-speed came out at the very end of 1957. So mm-hmm. that vehicle is particularly uh, rare and nearly a perfect restoration. Now, you're saying that that's original, so that's, that's not a resto mod or anything. That's the original car with all that stuff on it. I'm original. Be- it, it, the, the 57 has been restored. It's been repainted. Right uh, and and new upholstery and things of that nature, but the running gear uh, is all original, and it was the first year for fuel injection. Oh wow! The first year for the four speed, and the sixty one is the dual four, the two forty five horse, two eighty three, <laughs> and it is original, including paint. So uh, <sighs> they're quite quick. But when you brought up the sixty, that that would fit right in there. Uh, we're getting a little Corvette heavy, so but if one of those leaves, you'll be the first one on the list. Well, much to your assertion about whether or not I know Corvettes, if you've seen this month's American Car Collector, it's got a black 57 Corvette fuel that sold in uh, Monterey, and I wrote the article on that car. Is that right? I did. Wow. So all of that that I was telling you about 57s, you already knew. <laughs> yes, sir. Uh, uh, he knows, but I'm the dude who gets delirious, so this is pretty awesome. I had no idea about the fuel but, but injection. Yeah, you, That's insane. It sounds like you are a little Corvette heavy. I got one for you if you lose one. <laughs> uh, well, in addition to that, we have a 91 ZR1. Yeah. Uh, the four cam motor version and with 3,000 miles. So what else are you looking for uh, outside of the the beloved Corvette world uh, to come into the museum? What kind? What what is some of the criteria, Butch? How about you fi- vehicles? How you fix for Impalas? <laughs> well, matter of fact, uh, what we are looking for is yeah. something that's 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 unique, that's rare, that's usually in great condition. And I say usually because there are some exceptions. If a car is is rare enough and has a history that's added patina or it may not be you know, restoration perfect. Or it has a dashboard made out of Play-Doh. <laughs> uh, that's true. <laughs> We're going to talk about that car in an upcoming show because I love that vehicle. <laughs> but it, it, it is so not right and yet well, so it, absolutely it's right. history and it, yes. other people have loved it too. So. Oh, absolutely. I am all about that well, car. And that it, was somebody's vision. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. So it has to be interesting, have a history, and be as kind of uh, original as possible unless it's just, you know, completely out there but still has history involved because it is a museum. Yes. To to, to give you an example, we just brought in this weekend uh, a 2004 GTO, Pontiac GTO, being the last version of the GTOs, I think, 04 to 06. Oh four, oh five, 05 and 06 my wife drives an 05 <laughs> okay right. and but this one uh has no top on it it's only a two-seater Ooh. and the design was crafted by george barris the famous customizer from california oh, that died oh uh, nice last year barris so. did so much cool stuff too he, he did and with and, and the workmanship is is really good uh, he did not do the work. It was done by another shop, but Barris designed it. it has his name on it, and that is unique enough to me to, to be here because of all of those kinds of things. It's cool looking. It's bright orange. It's got Barris's name on it, 
and there will be enough people that will be interested in, in particular kids love those kinds of things. So, you know, that and a and it's not Chuck Barris. perfect okay. restoration model T, you, you see the, the, the breadth of the spectrum here. Well, Butch, uh, we're talking with uh, Vreni Fernandez, the executive director of the Kansas City Automotive Museum, and Butch Pappen, curator of collections and exhibits. Now, as curator of collections and exhibits, it's Butch that figures out what cars, what vehicles, cars, motorcycles, etc., should be on display, and what the special monthly displays are. Now, we're, we're in the last part of, of uh, November, so we're ending the month with, I, it's campers, right? Right. And uh, that is, I felt, pretty unique, pretty uh, uh, interesting to people, and as it turned out, it was. And and people uh, have memories of, of camping trailers. These are, are trailers that, that bridged the, the time frame from the 1940s to the 1970s. And I was not aware until I was searching for station wagons for Station Wagon Month. <laughs> and one of the gentlemen that had that has a website that shows uh, a beautifully restored 24-foot trailer from the 40s. Is that one of those and, big chrome ones that looks like a Pez? And it's just this big, uh, massive you know, it's not chrome. It's a shaped one, but it is. It, it, Airstream? It's a, it's a yeah, Shasta, this brand. Okay. But anyway, the, the, the point of the story is that there is a huge contingent of people out there that collect these things, restore these things, have shows just like car shows, and, and I was not aware of that. And uh, when uh, the gentleman I was talking to put the word out, we filled the room fairly quickly. Yeah. So. Unlike the rest of the, the of the selection of vehicles that come to the museum, the exhibit area is usually um, delegated to a car club or a group that wants to select their own vehicles to bring in. And Butch usually approves. Um, you know, he, he you know his approval doesn't isn't necessarily required for that space just because they do such a great job selecting the best of their group. Right. Um, of course, there always is a photo requirement. Uh, most of the time for any vehicle coming to the museum, Butch requires some kind of a submission photo. And uh, that's how he, he gauges how to continue the conversation, whether that be a long-term display or a, uh, just a monthly display exhibit. So what's up for next month? What can we expect to see in December? Uh, Cadillacs. Oh, oh, land barges. Oh, baby. Oh. <laughs> well, you know, we've been talking with uh, Butch Pappen, curator of collections and exhibits, and Vereni Fernandez, executive director, Kansas City Automotive, or Kansas City Auto Automotive Museum. You can find it at KansasCityAutomuseum.com, and also it's on 116th Street and Strangline in lovely Olathe, Kansas. Thank you both joining for joining us again right here on Road Muscle Radio.